for most people in society, they don't get a true valuation when they buy a property. They typically get a bank valuation when they buy a property. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers. It help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, a code cracker. We're going to dig into valuation. Yes, the idea that real estate can get valued. How does it actually work? In fact, I kind of want to do a two-part series on this conversation of value. I thought I would start with technical valuations and then jump on the concept of really how value is perceived in the marketplace. Today, though, let's stick to valuation. It's a big conversation, a good conversation, and I hope you're going to get a lot out of today's lesson. And of course, all the podcasts I've done are lessons on real estate. If you like the idea of mastering the art form of being a property investor, this show is for you. And of course, welcome back, my regular listeners. Thank you for your comments and reviews. I really, really appreciate it. And I hope you're doing well uh, wherever you are. And if it's your first time tuning into the program, well, play the program in double speed, get your life back. Uh, You can speed me up. I don't sound like a chipmunk. Play me in double. Uh, Even on Spotify, you can go to triple speed these days. So uh, maybe I'm a laggard with double speed. I recommend double speed. Uh, Some people prefer 1.5 speed. I don't know, but uh, you be you. But make sure you, uh, you know, make the most of the hours in your day because uh, there's a... awesome world out there to be part of. And of course, a big part of my job is simply sharing information. Today, I want to share some information around how valuations work inside of property. And of course, uh, really, there is three forms of valuations which are commonly used inside of real estate, particularly residential. And I guess when it comes to the conversation around residential valuation, we often start with the idea of uh, what we are used to doing with banks. And it is quite often the case that we form our opinion on a property's worth through what is known as a bank valuation. Now, of course, if we're going to start this conversation, we've got to work that real estate agents appraise property, valuers value property, and funders lend money on property. And today in economics and property sales, uh, basically for most people in society, they don't get a true valuation when they buy a property. They typically get a bank valuation when they buy a property. And quite often when people are buying a property, they are buying a property off a real estate agent who has a appraised value when they go to market. 
Now, real estate carries a volatility index. I've talked about this before. Typically, the volatility range on the day of sale of a property can range up to 10%, meaning a million-dollar property could sell for $1.1 or $900,000 on the given day of sale. So uh, when it comes to how banks value real estate, it's known as direct comparison. They use what is known as the direct comparison method of valuation. Now, this method of valuation, if you like, is an opinion method of value. It began in 1982. And what's very interesting around the idea of opinion valuation or direct comparison really is based on one principle. And that principle is that the purchaser will not pay more for a property than the price of an equal substitute property. That is the economic principle of direct comparison. So what it's saying is really the onus of value is in the buyer's hands who, if they... uh, shopped around, they could uh, easily find a property at the same price as the property in question. And of course, this method of valuation was introduced in the 80s and it coincided with really the long-term mortgage market being introduced. You've got to remember, before the 1980s, really, the idea of going and getting a 30-year home loan did not exist. Um, you know, the idea of borrowing money off a bank was for, you know, the uh, lower class, the middle class was virtually impossible. And of course, real estate, um, you know, prior to the 1980s, you know, people got into buying real estate through all sorts of mechanisms, whether it was borrowing money through family, whether it was vendor finance, whether it was through, uh, you know, trade unions, whether it was through credit unions. Typically, there was no decentralizing or uh, there was no, um, you know, basically liquidity in the marketplace. And of course, in the 80s, banks invented the product that, hey, let's all sell home loans. Let's sell home loans to people. And they sort of deregulated the banking industry and uh, allowed people to borrow, you know, in some occasions up to 100% of the, uh, the, the debt of the property. And so it's very interesting that the method of direct comparison or an opinion value was introduced basically by the banks to value real estate. And the reason they introduced it was to do a full valuation on a property is very time consuming. Uh, If you want to use a few methods to value real estate, it's going to take uh, the valuer a period of their week to actually form that opinion. And so uh, really the idea of direct comparison, which is opinion valuation, uh, was put together because it's kind of easy to understand. Um, You know, this property is like that property, like for like. Uh, It's simple to calculate. Um, 
it's quick for the valuer. And so if you've ever seen a valuer do a direct comparison valuation, um, they might go to a property for 15 minutes, check it exists, uh, do a quick look around um, and make some assumptions based on their 15 minutes of looking at the property. Obviously, they've got uh, some software as well to, to have a look when they're back at the office. But really, the concept of direct, direct comparison is opinion valuation. And uh, interesting, you know, I've seen some sort of data from basically banks as to how accurate they believe the form of valuation is when it comes to adjudicating a price. Remember, when you buy a property, the bank is valuing the property because it's their money, not yours. And so uh, basically some of the uh, rationale behind direct comparison or opinion valuation, simple to calculate, um, easy to understand. Like for uh, for a, a large-scale valuation firm, for uh, a mortgage broker, uh, for a real estate agent, it's, it's so simple to understand. It's like this looks like that, so they're equal. Um, does it give an accurate valuation? I've seen data to suggest it's around a probability of 58% accurate. Um, is it quick to do? Yes, it is. It's very quick um, and uh, direct approach. In fact, some lenders um, today just even use desktop uh, versions of direct comparison because really what you're doing is just scraping data um, of things which are being sold at a similar period of time. Apples for apples. But here's the problem with direct comparison um, uh, concepts. Really, as real estate kind of moves away from an ideal situation where real estate is absolutely similar to each other, the method actually becomes quite erratic. And so you will quite often see today um, just buying a property, one valuer will have an opinion that the property is worth what it's worth. Another valuer will have a difference of opinion when it comes to the true worth of the property. Remember, the idea of the direct comparison or opinion pace model, it is based on the economic principle that a purchaser will not pay more for a property that is similar to the property being bought. But as we know, properties are not similar to each other. And so the method is open to opinion-based uh, value, opinions being formed on the value. So my opinion of a north-facing backyard could be different to your opinion of a north-facing backyard. You put three buyers uh, on the property, they've all got a different opinion of the value. You put three buyers agents, they've all got a different opinion of the value. You put three uh, valuers on the asset, they've all got a different opinion of the value. So some real lessons when it comes to uh, the idea of direct comparison opinion valuations. The first real lesson is banks value real estate using this method because it's cheap, fast, and easy. 
Uh, it's cheap for you if you're paying the $300. It's cheap for them if they're paying the $300 to the valuer. If you wanted a true valuation using other methodologies, the cost is going to be way more. And of course, the time frame to turn that around is also uh, going to take longer. And of course, this is why banks use direct comparison opinion valuations uh, because, you know, people are buying property. Time is of the essence. Sometimes people have got, you know, three days to go unconditional and they need the valuation back. And there's a lot of pressure because real estate is time bound. And so uh, quite often um, what happens is um, property investors obviously are connected to what they can borrow and very much connected to the concept of the principle of direct comparison opinion valuation. Now, when I buy real estate, I use three versions of valuation and uh, I can do this myself, but I'll try and teach you some other methods so that you can also sort of just make some educated opinions on how valuation truly works. The second form of valuation was also introduced around the 1980s and really it is known as summation valuation, the summation value, different to direct comparison, um, but a good method of valuation. So inside of summation, basically the theory or the theory of valuation concludes there are actually two values. The two values are a differential in real estate and a differential in property. There is a difference between the two. Real estate is not property and property is not real estate. Does that sound confusing? Let me elaborate. So in real estate, uh, the land is real estate. The land has value that is known as real estate. Uh, the building and or its improvements also has value that is known as the property, okay? So there are two values and uh, one is real estate and one is property. And so the summation method of valuation basically uh, allows for property investors to consider that land has a square meter rate, it has a value, and the building and improvements also have a value and square meter rate. And so uh, obviously an improvement, a house, an apartment, a townhouse has a cost to what that dwelling is worth and the land also has a cost as to what the land is worth. It is surmised using a square meter rate. And so summation valuation, if you like, is really the concept that you're working out the square meter rate of the land and the square meter rate of the build. And you're putting them two together. You're putting the real estate and property together, but each equally have their own value. And so uh, if the two values come together, what is actually the property worth? Now, as you can imagine, there's a lot of detail around 
working out the cost per square meter and the cost of a building. And so if you were uh, going back to the mortgage market, um, it would be too slow for the mortgage market to use this version of valuation. So uh, this form of valuation is something I love using because uh, it allows us to track how uh, thing, how much things cost and how much land is worth. And so when I look at buying properties, I tend to use all three of the valuation methods to see how um, value actually is. If the direct comparison method is a little bit off the mark, if the cost of the building and the land is a little bit off the mark, or the final version of valuation is known as capitalization. And I'll explain what that is. But Going back to summation, if we were to look at a property, we uh, can look at its square meter rate value based on the value of the land and the value of the dwelling or the building. Now, summation uh, is really, really good if you're buying modern properties or you're comparing new with new or you're comparing um, old with old, it's it's you have to still compare the properties uh, with other comparable properties. Summation: um, If a property gets much older, basically ends up becoming after renovation value. It be, forms a new valuation, but the principle is the same. So let's say you were buying a property and you were looking for a modern property that had no uh, issues with needing renovation or repairs. And so you go and you find a property. Uh, it's basically on a certain size block of land in a certain street, and it's got a nice, newer, more modern property on it. You would use summation, a square meter rate value based on the value of the land and the value of the build. Now, what you're also looking for to extract the value is you've got a timeline to use the methodology of square meter rate versus square meter rate based on the uh, location, quality and age of a property. And so uh, generally, I allow for around seven years for a point of innovation to unfold, to use summation. So I use summation to understand as well, next year's stock that is coming to market that comes through new construction, what is it costs per square meter? And if what I'm buying today is cheaper than what is available tomorrow, then obviously there is a value arbitrage between the two. And so uh, generally properties that are newer and more modern uh, keep that modern look and feel for around seven years and therefore stock which is being produced in that seven-year cycle can be used as a square meter rate benchmark. 
In other words, I've got a modern property here, but to actually uh, replace the same modern property, it's going to cost an extra $1,000 per square meter. I've got 100 square meters of it. That's $100,000. So that's so much summation. Now, if a property gets much older um, and it's 30 years old and it's probably going to need some renovation, Summation basically has a baby, and that baby is called ARV valuation, after renovation valuation. And so to understand that form of valuation, if you're uh, trying to renovate, want to buy a much older property, what you're looking to conclude is the square meter rate value is going to be based on the value of the land and the value of repairing and renovating the improvements after renovation value. It's a baby of summation. Same logic. You're basically determining, I'm buying a property, I'm paying 5000 a square meter, but uh, to improve the property to the current point of innovation, it's going to cost me another 5000 a square meter. My total after renovation value would be 10000 a square meter. Um, does 10000 a square meter for a renovated property make sense? And so this is the methodology of uh, after renovation value, which is the baby of summation, which is basically coming up with a formula to work out the cost of the land per square meter and the cost of the build, or if it's a renovation, the cost of the renovation. So uh, again, um, I think it's a really, really good way to analyze value because things are always being improved. Um, Australia is a young country and as such, there's always new construction happening. Um, you know, over the next... 20 years, there will be something like 51% of all properties will be replaced with a newer build. Uh, we're seeing that throughout our suburbs. There's a lot of knockdown rebuilds happening. There's a lot of new construction um, when it comes to particularly uh, renovation. And so um, if you're building a new home, you would analyze summation. If you're renovating an older home, you would analyze summation using after renovation value. And again, you obviously um, are borrowing money off the bank. And so this is where this method of valuation and quite often how banks uh, send a valuer for 10 minutes to form an opinion is chalk and cheese. This is probably a far more in-depth version of valuation. So just the lesson here, value is both in the land, which is the real estate, and the building, which is the property. They can both be separate values or combined values, and that forms a square meter rate. And uh, something I love working on is definitely the idea of the square meter rate. I think it's a great version of valuation. Um, because a lot of my work's in modern construction, it's something that 
um, I like to understand. I like to know what next for prices. I like to know what something could be worth uh, based on what it uh, can be renovated for or what it can be uh, built for, basically. And I think sometimes, um, you know, valuation's the wrong way around here in Australia. Um, Australia obviously wants, you know, to to renovate itself, to bring new migrants here. And, um, you know, in some respects, I think um, direct comparison should, uh, you know, take into consideration certainly uh, the value proposition of, uh, you know, rebirth of our housing. Obviously, it's a housing crisis and, you know, people simply can't afford homes. So you're going to need to build cheaper versions of newer homes. And I think um, certainly uh, the the concept of summation could help uh, when it comes to funding. So the final version of uh, uh, valuation, if you like, is known as uh, capitalised value. And, uh, you know, it was invented by a very smart economist um, who came up with capitalization theory in 1957. Basically, that value can be found in the uh, cash flow. Now, capitalization is really the concept where you're valuing the rent and forming a price um, associated with the, the rent. Now, for example, if a property was renting for $850 per week and the current yield was 3%, then you would work out the value as follows. $850 per week times 52 weeks equals $44,200 as annual rent divided by the 3%, which is the uh, yield, and that would give you a value in that capitalized rate of 1.473 million meaning uh, if you were buying a property um, at850 dollars uh, per week rent with a three percent yield the price point should be about 1.473 million and so it's an interesting version of value and something that I love. I always look at it um, and uh, I think it's a, it's a really good version of value for property investors. Now, in residential, you typically uh, benchmark off basically the gross yield because in residential, everyone buys off gross yield. Everything's reported off gross yield. If you go on to... The uh, statistics that are out there, it will be gross yields, yield based. It's never net yield in um, residential, though obviously we end up getting a net income from residential. In commercial, it's the opposite. It's, it's a cap rate or a capitalized value has to come off the net income to show the value of the real estate. And there's some benchmarking that happens inside of the commercial world inside of industrial as to what the established cap rate is of that product type. But in residential, it's okay to use the the gross income or the gross return. 
So again, like if I was to teach this method and obviously there's a podcast, so I'll do my best to teach it. Let's go to a suburb where I've bought real estate in recently. It's called Collingwood in Melbourne. Now, if you were to look on the REIV website and look at the medium rent for Collingwood, Melbourne, it's currently for apartments, $560 per week. Again, let's use the method of capitalized value. 560 times 52, the uh, residential yield in the suburb of Collingwood for apartments is 4.7%. So 560 in rent times 52 divided by 4.7 equals the capitalized value for an apartment in Collingwood based on the mean, the average, is $619,500. Now, uh, again, like this is the method. Does the uh, value of your yield equal the value of the capitalized value. Now, if I I bought a property in Collingwood, it was much more in price than 1619,500, which is the yield value of an apartment in Collingwood. I bought above the uh, price, but I used the same cap rate, meaning I actually did not overpay for the property, I just got a better property. Let me explain. The current property rent is $750 per week times 52 divided by the uh, yield, which is 4.7%. The capitalized value of the asset is $829,000. The purchase price I paid was $832,000. So you can see I use the cap rate method of value to actually confirm that the purchase price of $832,000 was the right purchase price. So the purchase price of the property I paid, $832,000, the capitalized value using rent um, and the gross yield ended up being $829,000. The gross yield in that situation that I just explained came from the market average. So the market cap rate, 4.7%. The property cap rate that I purchase on, 4.7%. So I use the cap rate to confirm my value. And so uh, my rent supported the property price I paid in accordance with the market cap rate. And so it's a very good way to consider it. Now, if we look at actually the median value for an apartment in Collingwood today, and these things buffer around, The market median value is $566,000. But if we look at the capitalized market value of Collingwood, uh, it shows $619,500. So what's that tell us about the market of Collingwood? Well, the cap rate is actually showing in this example that rents have grown and the market growth is yet to catch up to the uh, growth in rents, meaning the market has future capital growth based on the strength of the rent. A strong cap rate compared to the market value basically indicates that the rental market has grown. Eventually after that, 
we should see property markets grow as well. Now, interesting enough, uh, since I bought the property basically for $832,000, the rents have grown in the neighborhood and I'm about to put my rents up. And so the rent is now going from $750 on the property I bought to $900 per week. Uh, If we were to use again the current suburb Average, $900 per week times 52 divided by 4.7. That showcases a capitalized value of that asset. Now, because the rent is 900, not 750, it's gone from a value of 829,000 to $995,000. The rents have increased the value. What's interesting as well is the cap rate has remained the same at 4.7%. It hasn't dropped, which is interesting. Now, again, how uh, real estate cap rates kind of work as values rise, yields basically compress. And uh, if rents don't rise alongside them, um, you basically get a compression of the yield and this basically happens because in real estate uh, there is basically a difference between capital growth and rental growth and basically yield compression is a phenomenon in real estate where the initial yield reduces over time as property values increase basically occurs because Uh, properties appreciate faster than rents grow. And uh, obviously the trick is to find a place to invest which is at a good point before it compresses. And so um, at the moment with that Collingwood property, the rent is actually keeping pace with the capital growth of the property. And so that's an interesting phenomenon because usually the compression occurs. And so if I go to uh, the value of the property at 4.7% current market yield, it's 829,000. Now let's say the market yield drops to 4.5%. Actually, the value should go up. And uh, just using the logic, if if it was 4.5%, um, if I was to work off the original original rent, which is seven fifty times fifty two divided by four point seven, the purchase is eight twenty nine. If I was to go off a cap rate of four point five percent, the purchase should be eight forty four. If I was to go off four point one percent, eight eighty nine. If I was to go off a four percent yield, eight ninety nine kind of counterintuitive because uh, you often associate a higher yield um, with a better form of investment. But actually, uh, the concept is if you can basically find the right property, as the property grows, the yield compresses. And so if you're going to buy into that marketplace with a compressed yield, it will showcase a higher value. Now, 
This is generally shown in basically the fact that if you go and Google the highest yielding suburbs in Australia, they basically have the lowest purchase price to buy. Um, and, uh, you know, I did it the other day. You can get a 12% return, rental return, um, which is equating to $350 a week. And you can buy a rundown house in the Gopnik suburb of Kambauda West. Yes, Kambauda West, which is basically in the desert next to Kalgoorlie. It's a little uh, basically gold mining town. You can pick up a house for 150000 with a 12% return and uh, a $350 a week rent. So again, if you can see that the yields haven't compressed because prices have never gone up and, uh, you know, there's obviously fool's gold in them uh, numbers because just buying a cheap property that no one will ever pay more for from a capital growth point of view doesn't make a lot of sense. Conversely, if we went to, say, a, you know, gun suburb, which is full of capital growth, you could go to, say, Tamarama here in Sydney. It's, you know, as blue chip as you can imagine. The current gross yield is like 1.6%. And so, you know, it has compressed to the point where there's nothing left in the yield and the growth has been so spectacular that, uh, you know, obviously you need to be um, the Sultan of Brunei to basically buy in that suburb uh, because, you know, the yield's just not good enough. So there is a bit of a sweet spot to understanding it all. And, and generally, I think the best capital growth properties uh, that are out in the market tend to start with a 4% growth, uh, gross yield and sort of go up to about... Um, as high as 6% gross yield and have the uh, ability to compress as prices go up. Obviously, some yields which are higher just are high because there's never been growth and obviously the concept of compression. So it's a very important principle to understand that uh, values rise uh, based on, uh, as yields compress, there should be a correlation to the values rising. Now, again, if you went and looked at a property and the maths didn't work using this formula of valuation, you would, um, you know, dig deeper, dig deeper. And this is really some of the due diligence steps that are really good to use inside of real estate. Now, if we go back to the property I own in Collingwood and, um, you know, I paid 800 and, well, the capitalized value was 829000 I paid $832,000. When I bought the property, uh, actually NAB lent me the money and they valued the property at $832,000. They used the methodology of direct comparison. When I bought the property, I bought the property based on a square meter rate of around 9,800 a square meter. And so uh, that value at the time to me was very, very inexpensive, particularly with what things cost to renovate today being four to 5,000 a meter. So uh, it was a new property when I bought it and uh, 
if I was to look at the value today, I'm going to use the three versions of valuation. So I paid $132,000 for the real estate. Today, NAB has done a market valuation. Remember, market valuations are opinion-based valuations, and they've put $920,000 on the deal. $920,000. So 830, uh, you know, basically, uh, well, 920 minus 830, uh, NAB has given me a valuation uplift of $90,000. Now, if I was to use the capitalized value, remember that is the new rent, $900 per week, uh, times 52 divided by the market yield of 4.7%. The new capitalized value of my real estate is $995,000. Big difference between $995,000 and $920,000. That's okay. I'm using the capitalized value to go, you know what? There's even more value in my real estate. Now let's use the summation value method to value the real estate cost per square meter it's an 82 square meter apartment today to build that same apartment in line with uh, the same location the same quality um, and the same specifications uh, there is product selling at 11,500 a meter so I'm valuing the uh, basically land and build internally at 82 square meters at 11,500 a meter. Plus I've got 29 square meters of outdoor space, which is a lower square meter rate at 2,000 per square meter. So this total summation value cost per square meter works out that the property today to actually build the same property the same location, the same quality uh, is actually $1,001,000. So now we've got three different values all together. Capitalized value, 995, summation value, 1,001,000, and market opinion value, direct comparison using NAB, $920,000. You can see big difference between the three valuation methods. Uh, obviously, the one which unlocks our use of money is through the banks. We have to use their method of valuation. That's just how it works. But their method is opinion-based and the other methods are, uh, again, a more... Uh, deeper version of value. Now, what I like to do, and this is just something I focus on, is I take the average of the three values. And I often use that to go, well, that is the true price of the property. So, if I was to put the three values together, and I understand on a podcast, this is a little bit difficult probably to visualize. So I hope you're good visual thinkers. If I put the three values together, 995, 1001, and 920, or 1,000,000, 900, 900, 
Now, if I go back to my purchase price of $832,000, that is an uplift value I've made from that real estate of $140,000. $972 minus $832 is basically $140,000 uplift. Now, how true is that value? Well, I looked at what had recently sold in the same building to see what real estate agents were achieving and uh, a property which uh, was in the same building, obviously designed by the same designer team, architect, all of, all of that. A um, little bit smaller than my property, lower floor, but uh, let's consider it as a comparable in the building. Uh, it was basically purchased for $750 and resold for $885,000. That is an uplift value from uh, that purchaser to from um, purchase to sale over a 2.8 year period to two years and eight months of $135,000. So, so, some uh, someone might even be one of my clients. I don't know. I should look it up. Has flipped the deal in two point eight months and gone from seven fifty to eight eight five in two years and eight months. One hundred and thirty five thousand dollar uplift. Now remember, I said the uplift value of my real estate using three methods of valuation and creating an average was one hundred and forty thousand dollars. How accurate am I? I think I'm very accurate as to my assessment of the true value of the real estate. I can certainly deduce that my uh, property has more market demand because the cap rate is still very, very high. It's actually being protected by rent, uh, rents moving in the area. And I know that if I'm patient, I'm going to get uh, the compression of the yield effect occur in the area. That should mean values are rising. Yield should compress based on values rising, not on rents falling uh, because there's no demand. Uh, obviously, that's the, the the catch. I know actually even when I look at the square meter rate of um, the next cycle of stock coming to the Collingwood suburb, it's already at 13,000 a meter. Remember, I'm valuing this at 11,500 a meter. And obviously, uh, those two elements are kind of leading indicators for what I refer to as a lag valuation, which is direct comparison. That's basically what happens on the weekend. And so I know there's value in my property. Sometimes people don't know if there's value in their property. Uh, one good way to assess if there's value in the property is the capitalization method of valuation, the summation method of valuation, or its baby after renovation value summation method of valuation. All right, folks, I hope that helps. It's pretty technical today, but uh, maybe that helped you. Uh, hopefully, um, you can put some of that stuff into practice in your own world. All right, folks, take it easy. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. And I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, 
Take care and bye for now.